0: We say things like, maybe later, perhaps another time, or I'll see you tomorrow, but for some of us, there won't be a tomorrow. Listen as your worst nightmares come to life. These nightmares have become someone's reality. My name is Justin Crowley, and this is The Murder Project. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of The Murder Project. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be bringing you this podcast. It has been several years in the making, and I'm glad that we finally get to get started. So sit back and listen to some of your worst nightmares come to life. Those nightmares have become someone's reality. In this podcast, I'm going to be bringing you insights, criticisms, and questions regarding cases, current and past. We're going to stare straight down the middle. We'll discuss murder, missing persons, and misconduct. We'll talk about the facts, the theories, and the unknown. Let's start our journey through the true crime universe right now. In episode one, we're going to be talking about a... Love Triangle. Little bit of a murder mystery. This is an episode that I call Two Doctors, One Girl, and a Murder. July 10th, 2012. Lubbock, Texas. A 911 call comes in from an affluent area of stately homes. The caller is a landscape worker. She states that a window is busted out of her customer's home. Her customer... Dr. Joseph Sonier. Later, police will find him lying on the floor inside the garage, dead. He was fifty-seven years old. The landscape worker was at the home of Sonier and noticed that the window was broken. When she looked inside, she could see blood and shell casings on the floor. When police entered the home later, they found the body of Dr. Sonier in the garage in a pool of blood. So much blood that it had run underneath the garage door to the outside. Dr. Sonier had been shot five times and, for good measure, he was stabbed eleven times. In a living area close to the garage where the window was busted out, police found a Gatorade bottle lying on the floor. After looking at the Gatorade bottle, they noticed that it had holes in the end of it. They realized quickly that they had just found a makeshift silencer that the killer left behind. If the police had any doubt before the five gunshots and the 11 stab marks, all the doubt was removed when the silencer was found. Dr. Sonier was a multi-millionaire doctor of pathology. He was in his mid-50s with a large house, a six-figure wine collection, and a total net worth tipping near $12 million. Sonier married his high school sweetheart, Becky, at age nineteen. They had two sons, and from what the boys say, their dad was very supportive and caring. Dr. Sonier was devastated when his wife walked out on him after twenty-seven years of marriage. His now ex-wife, Becky, quickly remarried, but to the devastation of the Sonier family, Becky was murdered by her new husband. There was no justice for Becky because after her husband Killed her in cold blood. He killed himself. And from some of the research I found online, it looks like he killed their dog as well. What a sicko. By this time, Dr. Sonier's son had moved away and started their own lives. Dr. Sonier was all alone. So he decided to step out of his comfort zone and sign up for a dance class. Ballroom dancing, to be exact. It was at this dance class that Dr. Sonier got his confidence back. He was having a great time and meeting people his age that he could connect with. It was at this dance studio that Dr. Sonier met Rochelle Shatina. They became dance partners and shortly after started dating. They connected well and the relationship was growing strong. They were both previously divorced. Both had children from previous marriages and they loved to travel. Dr. Sonier introduced Rochelle to his son's and they said even though they were tough critics, they gave her the thumbs up. Shortly after, Dr. Sonier took Rachel to Los Angeles to meet his grandchildren. A few months later, Dr. Sonier surprised Rochelle with a trip to Paris for her 50th birthday. Rochelle said the trip was a dream come true. A dream shattered only a few weeks after returning from Paris. After news of Dr. Sonier's murder swept through the town of Lubbock, the police had some questions. Now, it's common for the police in situations like this to interview everyone the victim is close to. Family, friends, co-workers, they'll bring in anybody just to get a lead. Especially in situations like this where there's so much mystery involved with the actual murder. The police brought in Dr. Sonier's then girlfriend, Rochelle. They asked her a lot of questions about their relationship. They asked her, of course, if she had done it, which she said no. They also asked her if she knew anybody that might want to hurt Dr. Sonier. While they were going through potential people, ...that might want to harm him. Rochelle gave a list of previous girlfriends that Dr. Sonier had dated... ...and also some of her previous boyfriends. They went and spoke to several of the people that Rochelle had given. They chased all the leads in the beginning, the first few days after the murder. But in the end, they came up empty-handed. This is okay, though, because in a situation like this, there's forensics, there's evidence... There's a lot of different things that the police can use to solve the case other than witness statements. At this time, the witness statements had not gone anywhere because everybody that seemed like they might want to hurt Dr. Saunier had an airtight alibi. The police then started to fan out and interview more people, but at this point, all they had left to look at was the evidence. That was until later that week, a man called the Lubbock Police Department. He said that he might have information about a homicide that happened in Lubbock. I'm sure the police couldn't have got on the phone any faster. This is a good lead. This is a solid lead. That is, if it's a lead at all. Oftentimes in situations like this, you might get people calling in saying that they have information about a murder only to hear from a lover scorn or someone that's maybe just crazy. This could also be someone that doesn't have information at all, but thinks that they know something. The detectives at Lubbock Police Department got on the phone. They were greeted by a man named Paul Reynolds. He was, from what I can understand or tell from the research, either a nurse or an aspiring nurse. Either way, in the picture I saw of him, he had on scrubs, much like the majority of the other people in these pictures. The police talked to him And what he told them was that he'd been staying on the couch at a lifelong friend's house. And that friend, over the past several days, had been rambling on about a murder that he'd committed. Paul would ask him questions, and his friend would say that he killed someone. He killed a man, and he did it in Lubbock, Texas. Paul Reynolds had a very uneasy feeling about what his friend had told him. So, he got on the internet, did a quick search... And one of the things that popped up was Dr. Sonier's homicide. It was right there. It was the murder that his longtime friend had been talking about. While on the phone with Paul Reynolds, they asked him, who was this friend that supposedly killed somebody? Paul Reynolds told the police, his name is David Shepard. He goes by Dave. The police asked him more questions about this murder. They asked him to give them any information that he might have. Paul tells them, That his friend Dave said that he went to Lubbock and killed the doctor, shot him, and then came back to Amarillo. When Paul asked Dave why he did this, he said that he was hired by one of his friends to carry out the murder. When Paul asked David who this friend was, David responded, it was Mike Dixon. Now Mike Dixon is a person whose name hasn't come up yet, but it's someone that we're going to talk about a lot in the next few minutes. Dr. Thomas Michael Dixon, to be exact, was a plastic surgeon who lived in Amarillo, Texas. Now, what I didn't tell you before was that when the police talked to past exes, Dr. Dixon was one of the people that they spoke to. He was one of the people that had an alibi for the night that Dr. Sonier was killed. But how does Dr. Dixon tie into this whole mess? Well, if you haven't already guessed it by now, I'll go ahead and tell you. He's the former boyfriend of Rochelle. She was actually dating Dr. Dixon before she started dating Dr. Sonier. A few years prior, Rochelle and Dr. Dixon met after Rochelle visited the Cincy Med Spa in Amarillo, Texas. Being from around this area, I actually remember hearing the ads for this place. They were kind of goofy, but looks like business was good. Rochelle would visit Dr. Dixon at the Cincy Med Spa and have Botox injections done Dr. Dixon was not only the owner of the spa, but he also administered the shots that Rochelle received. They became friends, and then friends on Facebook. Shortly after their friendship bloomed, Rochelle and Dr. Dixon began having an affair. It wasn't long after the affair started, Dr. Dixon's wife, oh yeah, he's got one of those too, found out. She found out that she was being cheated on and quickly filed for a divorce. This was, or seemed like, a good thing for Dr. Dixon because he began dating Rochelle exclusively, I'm sure, before the divorce was even final. Their relationship was on the rocks, to say at the least, but they went through their shares of ups and downs like any other couple, I guess. One night, Rochelle and Dr. Dixon went out for a special evening. On this special evening, Rochelle thought that Dr. Dixon might actually propose to her. That she might actually be getting the rock that she wanted. I found in some of my research that she actually used the term rock. But it gets better. Rochelle didn't get a rock from Dr. Dixon. What she actually got was a subscription. Where else? Tea of the Month Club, baby. What everybody wants. What everybody hopes for. Problem is, Rochelle was not hoping for a Tea of the Month subscription. She was hoping for the rock. The Rock. It was after this that Rochelle decided she was done with old Mike Dixon. And that right there brings us back to where we left off before. Who was this man, Dave Shepard? And why did a guy named Paul Reynolds call in and say that Dave Shepard had murdered Dr. Sonia? Well, the police wondered that question as well. So they came to Amarillo. If my memory is correct on... incident, they joined forces with the Potter Randall County Special Crimes Unit. I remember the first night that they showed up to Amarillo, I was actually working that night on midnight patrol. I received a call from my sergeant and he told me that he needed me to go stake out an apartment. He didn't tell me what was going on exactly and I didn't even know who I was looking for or what I was looking for. All I remember was is that if the lights came on in the apartment, I was supposed to let my sergeant know. I assumed at that point somebody was going to go talk to whoever was in this house, this apartment rather, or they were calling the cavalry. Unfortunately for me and my boredom that night, nothing happened. No one came in. No one went out. It was just a night of me sitting in my car, staring out the window. That is what people call a stakeout. I know that it looks glamorous on television Maybe he got a partner with you. Maybe you two are sitting in the car, cracking wise. But in real life, it's usually just you sitting in a seat for hours on end, hoping that you don't run out of sunflower seeds. Or that's how it was for me anyways. The next day, police came in contact with Dave Shepard. They brought him in for questioning. and They told him, hey, here's the deal. We got a call stating that you might have some information for us on a homicide in Lubbock. It didn't take long, but old Dave started singing like a bird. He told them everything that they needed to know. He let them know that he had been hired by a man to kill Dr. Saunier. He said that he was paid with three silver bars for the murders. Now, from what I can find in the trial notes from this case, the three bars at the time were valued around $3,000 or possibly a little more per bar. So, for the murder of Dr. Saunier, Dave was paid roughly nine to $10,000. He said that Dr. Dixon gave him one of the silver bars as a form of an advanced payment, I guess you could say. After that, he went and bought a barbecue grill, some new tires for his vehicle, and he took his daughters out for a nice steak dinner. Now, David, being an unemployed, divorced, multi-felon, was not really one to have a lot of spare cash. His daughters were a little suspicious when they were at dinner and they asked him, where'd you get the money for all this stuff? For the grill, for the tires, for the dinner? He said that he was going to do some work for Dr. Dixon and it got paid in advance. His daughters would later go on the stand and say that they found this to be very odd. During the interrogation of David Shepard, the police asked him to walk through what happened that night. And here's what David told them. He said that several months prior, him and Dr. Dixon had been talking about the relationship that Rochelle had with Dr. Sonier. Dr. Dixon was very upset with this relationship because, after all, he left his wife for this woman. He felt like she left him before They even really had a chance to have a real relationship. I mean, come on. He gave her the subscription to the Tea of the Month Club and everything. I'm not really sure what might have drove her away. I really don't. But David told police that he and Dr. Dixon had come up with an idea that maybe they could spread some false information or figure out a way to get Dr. Sonier to look like a sleazeball. Maybe get some pictures of him out with other women. Maybe send a prostitute over to his house or to his place of business. See if he takes the bait. Who knows? But unfortunately, in the few months that David and Dr. Dixon tried to sabotage the relationship, none of it seemed to work. Rochelle even brought this up in her interview with the police. And Dr. Saunier agreed. He said that with all the weird things that were going on, he felt like someone was trying to drive a wedge between them. He was right. David said when this plan didn't work, Dr. Dixon escalated the plan to what he or someone referred to as Phase 2. Dixon told David that he wanted Dr. Sonier dead and that he would pay him with three silver bars. So David, being a good friend, decides that he's going to do the job. Dr. Dixon gives David... A handgun and some gas money, and tells him to head to Lubbock. He knew this trip well because, as I stated before, he had been sent down there to case the area and try to sabotage Rochelle and Doctor Sonier's relationship. When he got to Lubbock that night, the night that Doctor Sonier was murdered, he went back to an area that he already knew well—Doctor Sonier's house. He had been there multiple times in the past and. Settled right back into his backyard, right back into his spot, watched, and waited. I think it's important to add at this time that Rochelle said, after the murder, that one night her and Dr. Sonier were sitting in the house, enjoying a quiet evening. They thought that they saw a flash in the backyard, but they brushed it off. That flash was actually David in the backyard, trying to discreetly snap a photo of them to what I assume would be sent back to Dr. Dixon. And if I'm not mistaken, that picture is actually in the case file. So that means that even though this big dumb idiot left his flash on and almost got himself busted, which for this situation, I wished he would have, he ended up still sending the picture to Dr. Dixon. Or they could have pulled it off his phone after they got a search warrant for all his electronics and his house. David said that after he settled into the backyard, he kept an eye on a window of an area that he knew Dr. Sonier would likely be in. Dr. Sonier got home that night a little later, made himself a drink, and sat down at a small table. David walked up to the window and stared at Dr. Sonier, but the doctor saw him immediately and stood up. I'm not exactly sure what words were exchanged between the two men, but it ended with David reaching into his bag, pulling out a gun, and pointing it at Dr. Sonier. From the crime scene photos, it looked like David used a 25 auto. If you're not familiar with this, it's a smaller caliber handgun. And I wouldn't say not used often, but it's definitely not a gun you would probably expect to see used in a murder like this. Anyways, I'm getting off topic. David pulled this gun out of his bag, and he said he had a Gatorade bottle over the end of it to use as sort of a makeshift silencer. Based off the type of gun used, the idea for the makeshift silencer, that kind of tells you that I don't think David nor Dr. Dixon had any idea what they were doing. David said after he pulled the gun out of his bag, he pointed it at Dr. Sonier. Dr. Sonier started backing up from David but he immediately fired several shots through the window at Dr. Saunier. The drink that Dr. Saunier was holding in his hands dropped to the floor as he backpedaled, and from the crime scene photos, it looks like he might have tripped over a chair, the same chair that he was sitting in before David walked up to the window. After falling backwards, David says he fired off a few more rounds, but he wasn't able to tell if Dr. Saunier had actually been hit. David said that After he fired the shots, Dr. Sonnier ran around the corner and out of the room that he was in. David was able to push the window in and climb through. And when I say he pushed the window in, I mean he pushed the whole window in with the frame and all. It looked like the whole window was just taken out. And if you haven't looked at any photos yet, based on this case, David was a very large man. After climbing through the window, he reached back into his bag. He pulled out a knife. He walked down the hallway, I assume following the trail of blood. He said when he walked into the garage, he saw Dr. Sonier laying face down on the floor. He walked up to him and checked for a pulse. He said that he checked his neck for that pulse, but said Dr. Sonier had already died. After he checked the pulse and realized that Dr. Sonier had already perished, he decided for good measure, he better make sure. Make sure there's no chance that he might be able to come back. He took the knife, and 11 times, he stabbed Dr. Sonier in areas that he said he thought might contain vital organs. We're dealing with a top-notch fellow here. He said after he stabbed Sonier, he exited the house and left He drove back to Amarillo and over to Dr. Dixon's house and told him that the job was complete. David said that after he told Dr. Dixon that the job had been done, Dr. Dixon retrieved the two remaining silver bars that he owed David and also threw in a box of Cuban cigars as a tip, I guess. David said he went back to his apartment after the meeting, and that's where, for the next few days, he would drink excessively, use prescription pills, and, from what the records show us, tell Paul Reynolds everything that he did. Now, at some point during this time, David, feeling the guilt and shame of all this, as he should, tried to slit his wrists. Apparently, it was bad enough that it was going to require some medical attention. But lucky for him, he knew a guy. Dr. Dixon Oh, what was that that he did? Ah, he was a plastic surgeon. There's actually video evidence of Dr. Dixon and David going in together. I'm not sure if it was at his own establishment or if it was somewhere else. But Dr. Dixon actually sewed up David's arms from the attempted suicide. This might seem like a detail that's not too relevant to the story, but actually it is. You see, if David would have had to go to the regular hospital, or to the ER, or a family care physician, or what have you, they would have noticed that David had those cuts on his wrist, and they would have seen that he tried to kill himself. Now, I'm not sure how it is in other areas, but I know for a fact that if you go into a hospital with cut wrists in Amarillo, Texas, there's a very good chance that you're going to end up right next door to the hospital in a place they call the pavilion for a mental health screening. This usually takes two to three days if my memory serves me correct, and you get a full medical evaluation. It's also very likely that in the event that something like this happened, they would have called the police because the police are the ones that sign the order to have the patient admitted to the hospital. Now there are some other ways that you can get around this, I'm sure, but I know that from... My dealings with situations like this, if we ever came across a person that tried to commit suicide, we would fill out the paperwork to have them admitted to this facility so that they can make sure and get the proper screening or help if they so choose. This would have been very valuable in this case, I believe, because David might have been able to get some help that he needed, all before going to prison, of course. So what happens to good old Dave? Well... He ends up getting arrested and transported back to Lubbock. He's charged with capital murder and is told by the DA's office in Lubbock that if he testifies against Dr. Dixon, the DA's office, which also is, for those of you that don't know, I'm sorry, it's the district attorney's office. They're the entity responsible for prosecuting the case. The DA's office offered David a plea, and they said, plea guilty to capital murder and you get life in prison without the possibility of parole. But if you do this, we will take the death penalty off the table. In exchange, we want you to testify against Dr. Dixon. David takes the plea deal, but just like we might figure, that part of the story is not over. If you recall earlier, I mentioned that the police had already talked to Dr. Dixon about his relationship with Rochelle in that conversation with the police the first time, he mentioned that he didn't even know who Dr. Sonier was, that he hadn't seen or talked to Rochelle in months and months and months, as he put it. This contradicted a statement that Rochelle had already given to police. She told them that Dr. Dixon knew Dr. Saunier, knew him by name. Dr. Dixon even offered Rochelle... The opportunity to perhaps have a relationship on the side. You know, try to work out the conflicts that they had. He told her that he was even going to let her stay with Dr. Sonier, You know, just kind of see how it went. So when the police talked to Dr. Dixon and he stated that he had no idea who this man was, it was quite strange. Little did they know that a few days later they were going to get that phone call. The Hail Mary the one they'd been waiting for. So, the police decide to go back, talk to Dr. Dixon again. This time, they were going to bring some other people with them. Some of you guys may have heard of them. It's the Special Weapons and Tactics, otherwise known as SWAT. I was also working the night that this search warrant was executed on Dr. Dixon's house. I was not involved in the actual execution of the warrant, but I remember hearing the radio traffic. At this time, I believe that the majority of us knew that there was a murder investigation going on, but as crazy as it might sound, the investigation between Lubbock, the Potter and Randall Special Crimes Unit, and the department I worked for, everything was kind of hush-hush. There wasn't really a whole lot of talk about it. A lot of people weren't given a whole lot of details about it. They wanted to make sure that they got Dixon into custody without incident or injury. After the SWAT team executed the search warrant on Dixon's home, they brought him in for questioning. When Dixon was asked if he wanted to make a statement or if he wanted to retain counsel, you know, have a lawyer present, Dixon said that he preferred a lawyer present. They shut the interview down and Dr. Dixon was booked for capital murder and his bond was set at $10 million. The same day that Dr. Dixon was arrested for the murder of Dr. Saunier, Dr. Sonier's family was in Shreveport, Louisiana, attending his funeral. They were at the funeral when they got the news that Dr. Dixon, another doctor, had hired a man to kill their loved one. I'm sure this had to be very difficult news to hear at the funeral but I also think that a weight was lifted off the shoulder. Now, if you remember me saying earlier, David took a plea deal. And in that plea deal, he had to testify against Dr. Dixon. Well, let's just say that when it got time for the trial, David threw a little curveball. David, who had once had a lengthy confession about all of the information that led up to the murder, the money, the stalking, all of that, well, he decided he was going to change his mind. When he got put on the stand, he claimed that Dixon was not involved at the murder, and that he had acted all alone. Now, the defense argued that, and this is Dixon's attorneys, they argued that yes, David and Dr. Dixon had made some arrangements, but the arrangements were only for David to follow around Dr. Sonier and see if he could catch him in any situations where it might be favorable to him. Situations where he might be able to give that information to Rochelle and break up the relationship, swoop in, get another crack at it, I guess. Now, there's also the issue of the gold bars because you know that when David was given... The first gold bar is a down payment. I'm sure he ran to his house and tucked it away in his sock drawer and was going to save, maybe invest. Nah, not David. The first thing he did was go to a pawn shop after he got the silver bar, and he hocked it. He got 2750 bucks for it. Pretty good score, I guess, but also ties him back to cash and the silver bar in, just days before the murder. Now, the other two bars, if I'm not mistaken, were actually found at David's house, along with the cigars. But that could be easily explained. You see, Dr. Dixon's attorneys said that the silver bars that Dixon had given to Shepard were part of a business investment. These were for a company that they were going to start up together. Now, Call me crazy and you might, but I don't know if I would have taken that deal. So if David got on the stand and said that he acted alone and that Dr. Dixon had not actually told him to kill Dr. Sonier, that he just did it on his own, what was the evidence against Dr. Dixon? Well, it turns out they had a whole lot. You see, both these guys were pretty sloppy criminals. As I said earlier, the gun and the makeshift silencer, that's all garbage. I don't think these two thought much of this through. Going back and looking at the evidence, of course they had the silver bars that Dixon had paid Shepard, David. They also had several cell phone communications between the two over the months that they were actually conducting the surveillance on Dr. Sonier and Rochelle. And remember that flash that Rochelle and Dr. Sonier thought they saw inside the living room? Of course, they had that photo. But they also had a photo that David took the day of the murder. He took a picture, another picture, of the same window and sent it to Dr. Dixon. The interesting thing about this photo was, is that in the reflection of the window that he was taking a picture of, you could actually see David in the picture. And what about the gun? The gun that David used on the murder, he said originally was given to him by Dr. Dixon. Now Dr. Dixon would later claim that this gun was actually stolen out of his desk... In his house. He said it would have been readily accessible to David who knew where it was. All he had to do was step out of the room and the gun could be taken. As far as his defense goes, I believe he said that's actually what happened. While David was over at his house, he was unaware, but David had actually stolen the gun. Well, they found that gun. It was found in a pond behind Dr. Dixon's office. Yeah. Also, they ran the serial number on the gun and came back to Dixon's brother. Now, if you're going off the theory that the gun was stolen, none of that really means much. I guess maybe David felt comfortable in the area. Maybe he stole the gun and then he tossed it behind the office. We can't be sure. But before the murder took place, on the night, Dr. Dixon and David were text messaging each other back and forth. The things they were saying were kind of odd. For a guy that didn't know much about anything or what was going on, on the night that Dr. Sonier was murdered, there were text messages sent between David and Dixon the night of the murder. Some of the text messages read, You have to stay close. Watch him in the AM. Go get him. And we need to make this happen ASAP. Get her done. Yeah, someone in there actually said, get her done. If you didn't know, if you missed the first part of the podcast where I said this was Lubbock, Texas, you know for sure it's Texas now. After all the evidence was in, it seemed like It was a slam dunk case. However, David interrupted some of that by going on the stand and saying that he acted alone and pleading the fifth to most of the other questions. Now, it was up to the jury. After all the evidence had been entered and all the testimony had been given, it was left up to them. In a surprise to some, maybe a shock to others, the jury came back as a hung jury they would have to retry Dr. Dixon again. Now, in the next trial, they weren't going to make the same mistake by putting David back on the stand. So, instead, they put one of David's daughters on the stand who testified that they thought that, or she thought, rather, that her dad was lying. He was lying because he was trying to protect his friend. She said she believed the events... David told the police in the beginning were the events that really happened. Also, they used David's friend in this next trial. Remember him, Paul Reynolds, the guy that called the police? Yeah, they brought him up on the stand, and he gave his testimony about the events that unfolded before he called the police to let them know that his friend had committed a homicide. After the second trial, Dr. Dixon was found guilty of capital murder. And he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. The same life in prison without parole that David Shepherd got. I believe I read somewhere that the district attorney's office did not elect to go for the death penalty in the second trial, or possibly the first or second trial, because they didn't know if they could get a jury to sentence Dr. Dixon to death on a solicitation of murder. So at the time of this podcast, Dr. Dixon and David are still sitting in jail. I looked up David Shepard's information and it shows that he's actually incarcerated with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, as most people who go to prison are. Now, Dr. Dixon, I noticed that he was on a bench warrant out of TDCJ, which is also what they call the Texas Department of Criminal Justice prison system. Now, what a bench warrant means is that Dr. Dixon is likely in Lubbock County and is either appealing his conviction, or for all I know, maybe he got another trial. I highly doubt that. Either way, he's not shown to be in the Texas prison systems at this time. He's shown to be on a bench warrant. But there's a lot of information in this case, and I think... We need to break it down a little further. So that's where I'm going to leave it for today. And let's do a part two episode. If you'll join me on the next episode for what we at the Murder Project are calling the debrief, I'll sit down with my good friend and former police officer Mike Smith, and yeah, that's his real name, to discuss the case further. In the debrief, we'll discuss the case from both sides of the aisle, We'll discuss theories we might have or anything we think needs to take a second look. The debrief will be an unscripted and off-the-cuff commentary about the cases we are currently covering. In this case, it'll be about this case we specifically covered. The debrief will act as a bonus episode of sorts, but you'll still get your weekly podcast fixed, so no worries. My hope in doing the debrief is to break the case down further in a little more relaxed environment with the true crime we love and maybe a little laughter that's on the next episode so please check it out also I want to let everybody know you can check us out on all the social medias just search for The Murder Project I'm sure you'll be able to find us and that's going to do it for me on this episode I hope to speak with you guys soon But until then, head up, eyes up, stay alive.